in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If, sorry, turn me down there, will you? So I don't lose. Wallet in here with this thing and it's killing me. And it just so you know, but there is a wallet. All right, thank you. Sorry about that. The term war and peace is not unfamiliar to us. A Russian author by the name of Tolstoy wrote a book by that title in the mid-1800s. I've not read the book. Uh, I don't know anything really about it, but it is considered a piece of classic literature, War and Peace. Since that time, there have been movies and adaptations and TV shows that have borrowed that phrase, but the idea was not new with Tolstoy. For man's entire history can be summed up with those two words, war and peace. They express polar opposites of our existence. Sometimes we're at war, sometimes we're at peace. In our minds, it's either one or the other. It is war or peace. And the phrase war and peace encompasses both. It's like the sum total of our lives. There are times of war and times of peace. But for the Christian, these words are not polar opposites. They are not separate experiences taking place, one taking place of the other. Truly of the Christian, his life is made up of both war and peace not war or peace. The Christian lives has them both concurrently, both at the same time. This morning, we'll take that phrase for our title. Not it was as penned through history, delineating two separate times, war at this time and peace at another time, but both of them as they are together in our lives. War and peace at the same time, war and peace. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We know that we have no strength, no ability, nothing to bring to the table that would get us where we need to go. But Lord, we expect to get there because the Lord Jesus has already purchased everything that we need. And this morning, we have needs. All of them are different. Each person comes with their own set of difficulties and problems and things they're facing. But I know that the Lord Jesus has already purchased what we need. And the Spirit has been given to explain these things to us and help us to appropriate it. And so, Father, with full expectation, we come thanking you that you are going to bring truth into our hearts. For we ask this in the precious name and for his glory. This morning we're just going to take a real workmanlike approach at this thing. 
we're just going to lay out the facts just as clearly and plainly as we can. So, number one, there is a war going on. Now, we generally think of war as an all-encompassing thing, you know, all-encompassing in the event of a life of a country. And some it is, sometimes. I think it would be fairly safe to say that in Russia, in World War II, the war there was totally encompassing. Every moment of every day of almost every Russian was spent on the war. I think that uh, in World War II, in 1943 to 45, most of the German people would have said the same thing, that they were experiencing the war almost continually. I'm not sure about the United States during World War II, um, but for many of our wars, they have not been all-encompassing events. I heard a famous Civil War historian say this, the North fought the Civil War with one hand behind its back. And then he went on to list all of the normal events that took place during the Civil War. The colleges were still having their annual boat races. And those types of events, people were just living their life just like normal, even though there was a war going on. This is not outside of our realm of experience. If I mention the words Vietnam, Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and Afghanistan, just to name a few. All of those were wars in which our country was involved, but most of the people just went about their daily life. It did not disrupt us in the least. In fact, if someone wouldn't have told us, we might not have even known that there was a war going on. Such is very much the case concerning the war that we're speaking of this morning. There is a war taking place as we speak. This war has been raging since the fall of Satan from heaven and has involved humanity since the dawn of creation. It is strange. We see casualties of this war every single day. Casualties falling around us, people's lives wrecked and ruined by the conflict. At this very moment, our country is being devastated by this conflict. Yet, we just seem to step over the bodies of our fallen comrades and make as though our life is going on. We look at the rubble of the battle as we wander through it and think nothing of it. When the conflict does affect us, when the war does come to our doorstep, as they say, we're just as likely to shoot our fellow soldiers or the civilian population rather than fighting with the enemy. The battle is real. The lines are clearly drawn. Ephesians 6.12 draws the battle line. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This battle is not people versus people, but God versus Satan, good versus evil, righteousness versus spiritual wickedness, light versus darkness. Make no mistake, there is a war going on at this very moment. 
This war has raged without ceasing on this planet since the days of Adam and Eve. And the battle is just as real and far more deadly than the Civil War, Vietnam, and all the other wars that were people just ignored while they were taking place. There is a war going on at this moment. Point number two. You have been called to be a soldier. You have been called to be a soldier. As I was studying through this last night, I was struck with one particular phrase in the passage that we read. And I'm going to ask you to do exactly what I did last night, only we don't have as much time as what I took last night. But I want you to read and reread and then reread a phrase over and over, and I want you to contemplate what it means. So let's read verse number four here. We'll read the whole verse, but I want you to concentrate on the last eight words. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I want you to look at that. I want you to think on that. I want you to contemplate that for a few seconds. I can't give you the, the 20 minutes that I thought on it last night, but I want you to take a few moments here and think about that phrase. Look at it, read it, reread it. Who hath chosen him to be a soldier? The meaning here is excessively clear. You're not a civilian in this war. You have been called to be a soldier. You are not a civilian. You are a soldier. Now before we get into this point, we better point out the, the obvious if there is, happens to be someone in this auditorium that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you've not put your trust in him, then you are in the conflict as well, only you're fighting on the opposite side. You are on the side of darkness, the side of evil. No matter how kind and gentle you may be, you are on the opposite side. I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. We do not consider you the enemy, but captives of the wicked one in the war. But as our Savior, Jesus Christ, purchased us, bought us out of that captivity, he also offers to buy you. He also invites you to switch sides in this conflict. You have been fighting up to this point in your life on the side of wickedness, on the side of evil. Whether you intended to or not, that's the side that you're on. But Jesus Christ is offers to allow you to switch sides. He has purchased your freedom. 
He invites you to join his army. It is as John Bunyan said, the, the devil does not pay his soldiers a livable wage. For the wages of sin is death. You know, it is true that sin does have some pleasure attached to it for a little while. But all of us here know this. Sin always leaves the taste of death in our mouth. And this morning, the Lord Jesus offers to buy you out of that slavery to the devil and put you on his side. You are invited in the name of our Savior and Captain to come to Christ today. We would encourage you to do so if you do not know Christ as your Savior. If you do know Christ as your Savior, he has called you to be a soldier. Now, I don't know how much you know about military history. It's kind of a hobby. It used to be a really big hobby of mine. But in any war, there are always, you have some soldiers who are doing less than they're all for the war effort. A popular word in the, that the army took on, what didn't start with them, is the word gold brick. Anybody here know the, heard the term gold brick before? Just a few of you. Okay, gold bricking is an, a term that the army picked up. It actually started with the, uh, what do they call them? The, we call them charlatans, um, tricksters, scammers. That's the, day, the word for today is a scam artist. These guys would take a regular brick, they would coat it in actual gold, and then try to pawn it off as a real gold brick. It was a gold brick, okay? They called them gold brickers. They were giving the appearance of value without actually having any. The military picked this up, and that's what they would call guys. They would say they were gold bricking, meaning they were acting like they were a valuable part of the military. Meanwhile, they're doing nothing of value. Anybody who's been in the military would know that these, there are gold bricks, okay? Actually, if you have a job <laughs> where you work, you look around your office and say, there's a gold brick, okay? People who are not doing their potential, not working for the good of the office, not working for the good of the country, they're just giving, trying to give that appearance. I hope none of you are gold bricks, just, you know, that's a, a different side there. But there are, in the Lord's army, gold bricks. They have been called to be a soldier, but they are too busy trying to just give that appearance and actually not put forth anything toward the war effort. Some soldiers, instead of gold bricking, are very industrious in the war. However, instead of doing their duty as a soldier, they're trying to profit from the war. In fact, this is what verse number four is actually speaking of directly. No man that warth entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In order to understand this, you actually have to to put yourself that some outside of your personal realm of experience. Have you ever seen war footage or pictures of the war when a town is getting, getting get attacked, the attack is imminent? Have you ever seen pictures of that? What happens 
when a town, people know that the place is going to get attacked, is all the civilians try to flee. And so if you see the pictures, it's just massive amounts of, if the army's coming from this side, massive amounts of people are leaving the other side. <coughs> now, try to put yourself into, the, into th this scenario. Let's just say that it, your, where you live is going to be attacked. You have a half an hour, you're at home, you have a half an hour that you have to get your stuff and flee. Now, you're going to a problem, most of the time the roads are not passable or they're too dangerous to take a vehicle, so you're going to have to walk, okay? So you're going to have to carry or drag a wagon across cross country, okay? So that's what you've got to do. And you're going to go to a place where some basic needs like food and medicine are not going to be readily available. Okay, you got the scenario? Now, what are you going to pack? Remember, you've got to carry it for 50 miles. So what are you going to pack? Now think about all the junk in your house, okay? What are you going to pack? You got your list made? Now, what's more interesting than what you do pack is what you left behind. What would you leave in your house? You took the can of green beans and the bag of rice, but you left the family heirlooms. You left the wardrobe that you inherited from your great-great-grandma. You left all of the hobbies that you have. You left your boat. You left basically everything that has actual value you left. Because you can't carry that and you can't eat it when you get where you're going. Do you everybody understand? Now, so think about what's left in your house. Except it's a whole city full of houses like this. That everybody has done this. Now, think of a soldier coming into this town. Everything in those houses is fair game to this soldier. Can you see the temptation? All of those valuable things that you left are his for the taking. Nobody's going to tell him he can't do this. And so it would be very easy to start profiting from the war. In fact, if you watch much military history, you'll know that lots of guys did this. They would get this stuff and they would figure out a way to send it back home. They were profiting from the war. Now, you've got to put this into total perspective here. It's, to, it's easy to, tempting to get caught up in the affairs of the, war, of the war and, and profit by it. But put it into perspective. On August the 6th, 1945, we dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Okay? I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of that. Absolute devastation. Nothing left. On October, sorry, on August the 9th, we dropped a second bomb on Nagasaki. Now, if we had informed, and we did send some communication, but if we would have informed, and you were in Nagasaki on August the 8th, and you knew that the bomb was coming, 
how much would you sell your house for? Do you know what? Had that, there been that knowledge, you could have bought the entire town for a bag of ramen noodles. Ten cents worth of ramen noodles would have bought the whole place, right? Now ask, ask yourself, who's the bigger fool? The guy who bought it or the guy who sold it? On August the 8th. Who's the bigger fool? Well, on August the 8th, the guy with the bag of ramen noodles, he sells it, he trades it for the entire city, and he's got all the businesses, he's got all of the factories, he's got the mansions in the place, and he's like, ha, for a bag of ramen noodles, look what I got. On August 9th, what does he have? Absolutely nothing. The guy that took the ramen noodles for the whole town just had the better bargain. It's easy for us to get entrapped, profiting from the war that's going on and getting caught up in the affairs of this life. But everybody here knows that all of this, what's going to happen to it? It's going to melt with a fervent heat that makes Nagasaki look like nothing. It's all going to be destroyed. And if we get caught up profiteering in the war, there's these things we can do here. We are making a very bad bargain because it will all be destroyed. Some soldiers are gold bricks. Some try to profit from the war. Some give aid and comfort to the enemy. Some give aid and comfort to the enemy. This is a lot easier to do than what you might think. The Bible lists three, three enemies that we have. In this war, we have three enemies. It is the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our enemies. When we choose to live in the flesh, whatever we're doing, whether it be good or ill, whether we're trying to do God's work or do the work of the world, when we live in the flesh, guess what? We're fighting on the other side. When we choose to walk in the flesh versus walking in the spirit, we are giving aid and comfort to the enemy. We are joining them in the battle. This is so very easy for us to do. When we decide to work in this, our own strength, when we decide to work in our own power, our own plans, our own desires, our own thoughts, we are working for the other side. When a Christian lives in the flesh, he's giving aid and comfort to the enemy regardless of his intentions or the work that he's involved in. Some soldiers are gold bricks. Some try to profit from the war. Some give aid and comfort to the enemy. But I'm here this morning to tell you, you don't have to. You can be the soldier in this war that God called you to be. I, look at the, 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 the positive declarations of the soldiers here in this passage. Verse number one, be strong. Verse number two, they're training other soldiers. Verse number three, he's a good soldier. Verse number four, he's pleasing him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. You don't have to be one of those other soldiers. You can be the soldier that God has called you to be. In Christ, we have all the provision of being top-notch soldiers. When a recruit is mustered into the army, inducted in, 
you know what? The army takes full responsibility. They, they equip them, they train them, they provide for them, they instruct them. The good soldier only needs to be willing and obedient. And this is exactly your case in the army. In Christ, you will find everything that you need to be the soldier you were called to. To be the soldier described in this passage, strong in Christ Jesus, training other soldiers, enduring hardness as a good soldier, pleasing your captain. In Christ, you have everything you need to be that soldier. This is such an encouraging thing. You do not have to be a gold brick. You do not have to try to profit from the war. You do not have to get entangled with the affairs of this life. You do not have to give aid and comfort to the enemy. In Christ, you can be the soldier you were meant to be. There's a war, and you are in that war. And number three, this is a diametric thought process in our mind, opposite ends of the spectrum, at the same time, we are at peace. You are in the middle of a war, and you're a soldier in the middle of a war, but you are at peace. To the human mind, this is an impossibility. War and peace are polar opposites, but in God's economy, you have both at the same time. So let's try to figure out why in the next few moments. Why can we have both at the same time? I sat down and tried to think, what do we fear about war? War is a fearful thing. So what do we fear about war? And I came up with five things that we actually fear about war. We fear the outcome. We fear for our safety of ourselves and our loved ones. We fear, fear the loss of property. We fear, fear unnecessary suffering. And we fear dishonor, doing something that is not what we should have done. Now these things are unsettling us for us where war is concerned. But let's look at them very briefly, each one of them. We fear the outcome of the war. One of the main fears of war is how it's going to turn out. Have you ever thought about what would happen to the country if we lost it? If we'd have lost World War II? What would have happened if we'd have lost the Civil War? What would have happened if we'd lost? We think, boy, it kind of, kind of sets you on edge if we lose a war. Because to lose a war most often means slavery. But have you ever thought how dangerous it is to win a war? Winning a war is almost just as dangerous. There's an old book called Animal Farm. Anybody ever read Animal Farm? A few of you have read that book. It is a, it's an interesting book. It is a look at the Russian Revolution. I won't give you the bore you with all the details, but the animals revolt they win a battle, they throw the farmer out, and so now they're in charge of the farm. And the whole book is, is working through their, putting, setting up their government, because now they've thrown the farmer out. And what do they end up with at the end? The exact same government they started with. They won the war and ended up just in the exact same or even a worse spot. This is a very common thing in history, to win a war and end up worse off than you were before. So the outcome of a war can be a very uncertain thing. If we lose, boy, we're into slavery. If we win, we don't know what we're going to actually even end up with. But in our war, is it that way? My friends, our enemy is already defeated. 
Christ sits victorious in heaven. There is no possible way that it can be lost. And his government is kinder, gentler, better, and more loving than anything we can imagine. It's perfect. There is nothing to fear in the outcome of this war. It's already been won, and the government we're getting is far better than anything we've ever experienced. Safety is always a concern in war. The soldier on the front line is concerned for himself getting shot. He's concerned for his buddies getting shot. But at the same time, he's worried about all of his loved ones back in town where they're getting shelled. So he's concerned with the safety of his loved ones and himself all at the same time. There is no safe place. It's a definite worry. And we sometimes bring this thinking into the spiritual war, but we don't think correctly when we do. For Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The enemy can do nothing that our Lord does not allow. And he said that he would be our protection in trouble. He said, he did say, did he not, that we would be persecuted? He did say that we would face difficulties, that we would face hatred and even death. Let me ask you this. When was the last time a soldier was worried about getting mustered out of the army and going back home to safety? No soldier. I did watch a documentary kind of thing on the soldiers who were leaving combat and going back home. And they had some mental difficulties. Like, I don't know what this is going to be like, and I'm not sure how, to, how this is all going to take place. And they were a little afraid to leave the battle. But when they got home, and away from the conflict, you could just see it in their eyes. <laughs> oh, wow. This is life. My friends, are you worried about your loved ones getting mustered to safety? Are you worried about your own self getting mustered out of the army and back home where there is no fighting? There's nothing to fear here. When we get to the Golden Shore, there is no fighting there. And to leave here is to go there. It is a safe place. And so this, this thing that comes as normally safety is a concern in the war. But if you get killed, as it were, you go home to safety. We fear the loss of property. I don't know if you've ever seen the old movie, A Bridge Too Far. It's a very long movie. I'm amazingly long. But it's about, it's a, a historical look at the, the British... Montgomery proposed a battle that was supposed to end World War II super early. Once we'd invaded and got into Normandy, his plan was to end the war very quickly. It didn't work, unfortunately, and so it turned up being a disaster. But there was a town in Holland that had survived at this point basically un totally unscathed. The town, there'd been no real fighting there, and so they had, everybody still had all their houses and all their possessions and so forth. Well, this battle ended up bringing both forces of this army to a have-to-win position in this town. And by the time both sides were done fighting, it was rubble. I mean absolute rubble. There was nothing left. They'd survived the war, clear to 44, early, yeah, yeah, might have been 45 even, and unscathed, and then nothing. They had lost 
everything. This is a worry for us in a war, that we would lose all of the stuff that we have. We'd have to leave it and run. And that's only if you're buying property on a battlefield. That's only if you've got your possessions here. You know, a lot of the soldiers in World War II, a lot of the American soldiers, had all their pay sent home. Why? Well, the army was feeding them and providing all the, you know, the housing and the clothing and so forth, so they had everything they needed, so they were sending stuff home. All their paycheck was sending back home. Why? So when they came home, they had something to do. They had a, they had a nest egg already laid up for them. In a very real situation, this is what the Lord said to us. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where rock and rust and moth is corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you're worried about loss of property, then don't set your property here. Don't be buying in to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Be slaying your forth your treasures in heaven. If you have them laid up in heaven, there's no loss here. There's no fear of loss. Unnecessary suffering is always a concern in the war. Some suffering we expect, and if you're in combat, you expect to have some suffering, but privation and unnecessary suffering is always a possibility. It is a not very much talked about thing, but in World War II, many of our soldiers actually suffered unnecessarily because the officers didn't go to the front lines to see what the guys were actually facing. They were sitting back in the comfort in the back, and the guys were doing without. They were, it was a really difficult situation that had no purpose. Do you think that the Lord Jesus going to do this to us when he who is in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin Hebrews 12 or Hebrews 2 tells us that he went through he took on flesh and blood so that he could understand what we're going through so that he might the word is succor us that he might treat us the way we need to be treated is it even possible that our Lord would add to us difficulties and trials that are unnecessary? Yes, you have trouble in your life. Yes, there are difficulties in this world. Why? It's hard, and you are a soldier, and things are to be expected. But absolutely not one of them is unnecessary. The Lord does not ever allow anything unnecessary in your life. Anything that you're facing is for your good, for his glory. We can trust him. We have nothing to fear as far as that goes. The only thing left to fear is dishonor. Dishonoring the Lord in the, in the battle. If you ever read Stephen Crane's book, A Red Badge of Courage, it's about the Civil War. It's an interesting read. It's about a young man who runs. At the, he gets into his very first battle, and he runs. And from then on, the whole book is him in his mental battle with himself, how much, how a coward he was. And so he's always debating this whole coward thing. And what he really wishes, 
all these other guys are injured around him. He's wishing for what he called a red badge of courage, meaning he wishes he had one of those wounds that everybody else had so that he could say, hey, I stood there, I stuck it out. He had a red badge of courage. I have to admit, this is one of those things that is very fearful to, to people who actually love the Lord. That you would dishonor his name by your life, by your actions, by something that you do with your life. It is a legitimate thing. It's an unthinkable horror, but if you're honest with yourself, you know I know that I am capable of betrayal like Judas Iscariot. I know that I am capable of denial like Peter. I know that beyond any shadow of any doubt, when push comes to shove, I can outrun any of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. So how then in this war can we have peace knowing what we are? How can I not fear the fear of dishonor? How can I not fear when I know how frail I am? How easily I could fall and bring dishonor? How can I possibly have peace in this war knowing what I am capable of doing? How cowardly I could be? My friend, the answer is found in verse number one. And with this we close. Except for my Bible to change places here. Hold on just a second. Verse number one, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In this fear, if you have the fear of, being, of dishonoring your Lord, what you need is a little honesty. You're going to find what a very joyful thing, what a very helpful thing it is to be really honest. Here's what I tell the Lord. Lord, you know how weak I am. And on my own, I guarantee you, I'm going to fall. Lord, you know how frail I am. Given you leave me by myself, I am going down. Lord, you know how stupid I am. And you give me half a chance, I will bring dishonor to your name. That's all there is. There's nothing within me. I know who I am. And there is no way that on my own, I, uh, if that's the outcome, I'm going to dishonor your name. But I don't want to. So if we have to rely on me, we already know what's going to happen. But I look to you. Do you know what? I know I'm as cowardly as anybody ever lived. And if they put up the, the, the uh, burning and Christians at the stake thing, I outrun any, everybody here. But I fully expect to stand. Why? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the power of Jesus Christ, if he holds me, if he don't hold me there, there's nothing going to hold me. I'm going down. But in the power of Jesus Christ, I expect to stand.
whatever is faced, whatever comes down the pike, whatever I have to do, I expect it. Not in my own strength. I am a chicken. But in Christ, I can stand anything. And therefore, I do not have to bring dishonor to his name. It's in Christ that where this is done. So what we find is war is a fearful thing, except for all the things that are fearful have been dealt with. He's overcome the outcome, our safety, the loss of property, unnecessary suffering, and dishonor. In Christ, all those fears are dealt with, and we have peace. So to sum it all up, and we're out the door, make no mistake, you're in a war. There's a war been raging since time began for us. You, not your next door neighbor, not your mom, not your pastor, you have been called to be a soldier. But even during this war, God's people are at peace. It's war and peace. Let's pray.